Hey, uh, it, it's nice to be here, and I, um, somewhere in the space between my head and my heart, um, I often get a little bit lost. Uh, in fact, much of life seems to be a mystery to me, and I'm constantly trying to figure out what is going on. Now, it, it's obvious that my head and heart are connected in some ways, like there's about an 18-inch wire that sort of goes between most of our heads and hearts, actually. Um, but the interesting thing is, and this is why it's a mystery, a lot of life is a mystery for me, is because often my head and my heart, they don't speak the same language. Or like this monitor here, they don't always kind of um, communicate with each other. They're both alive and they're both functioning, but sometimes there's kind of a wire comes loose or there's a disconnect or a misunderstanding between head and heart. And so I was thinking about some of those things over the last few weeks and um, Lucky Tekoha sort of touched on some things that I've been uh, ruminating on for a while. If you don't know what ruminating is, it's what a cow does. He chews it over and over and over um, for some time. I'm also aware that for most people's heads, um, it's a place where we store knowledge. Um, it's where we do a lot of our thinking, a lot of our planning, a lot of our strategies, a lot of our scheming. It's also where, in my head, I'm constantly trying to figure out how to take shortcuts and get maximum results for minimum effort, etc., etc. And it's also the place where I try and fix things. No matter what's wrong with me or mine or others, I try and fix things. Is there a husband here who, when his wife has come and talked to him about some stuff that's going on in her life, and it might be emotional, it might be physical, it might be practical, it might be financial, it might be spiritual, and the husband has all of the answers and he just wants to fix it. And the wife says, I don't want you to fix it, I want you to just listen to me and pat me on the back and say it's going to be okay. And so this is the head, the whole knowledge, thinking, planning, scheming, shortcuts, fixing things my way. Um, now, I've also technically got a PowerPoint, and my head is telling me that I need a little clicker of some kind to activate it. Thank you. I don't go surfing. Lucky Tekoha said that was him surfing, but you can't really tell, can you, from the picture? Just need that button here. That button there, thank you very much. So, what if? What if is a way that I think about a lot of stuff in life? And this morning I want to talk about head and heart. And um, there wasn't a lot of notice to, I guess, pull this thing together because, um, you know, Maya's mother unfortunately passed away just a few days ago. Um, and Dre asked if I could, you know, fill in, which I'm happy to do because there's always something going on up there. But um, I wanted some kind of confirmation that I was on the right track, and so I had prayed, I was preparing or finishing and tidying this all up yesterday, and um, after a very successful salmon trip on the canals, if you've seen my Facebook page, me and Nathaniel and Jerry, come on. I mean, we got between $1,000 and $1,300 worth of salmon fillets in the back of the truck. Just saying. <laughs> Anyway, so um, I was putting this together, and yesterday, and then again this morning when I got up and looked it over again, I, I thought, I haven't had a lot of time to kind of pull this together really, but I think I know what I want to kind of talk about. But I said, God, it would be really nice if before the service started I could get some kind of confirmation that I'm on the right track. 
Doesn't mean I could change it if I wasn't, but you know, it's nice to know that you can get a confirmation. And so I wanted someone to tell me some things that I thought, wow, that's exactly kind of where I'm going today. So my little granddaughter, my second youngest granddaughter, Eden, who's um, Lydia and Jerry's youngest, she came up to me when I was talking to someone, um, it might have been Stefan, but she came up and she gave me a drawing that she was doing before the service started, which was really cool. They were all sitting around a table and being kept occupied. And she gave me this drawing. And the drawing itself is a work of art. But the most exciting part was something that someone wrote on the side of it to um, give her ownership of her drawing so nobody takes it and sells it on Trade Me or whatever. And you may not see it, but the drawing at the top is a head, and the second one is a heart, and the third one is Eden, which is her name, but it's also a place. And if there was three things that I'm going to talk to you about today that are well balanced and kind of in tension with each other, I was going to talk about the head and the heart and about the Garden of Eden. So I thought, God, I think you kind of said, Mike, you're going to do okay. So that helped me relax a lot, particularly when um, the confidence monitor, as Andre called it, I've never heard it that before, the confidence monitor has gone on the blink. I thought, it's going to be okay. So put your seatbelts on and buckle up and let's go for a little ride, shall we? The head, knowledge, thinking, planning, scheming, fixing things, trying to do things my way and sort it out. Very useful. Not discarding the head at all, we need one. The heart, feelings, sensing, knowing stuff without knowledge. Knowing without knowledge. Proverbs chapter 3, and um, I hope I can pull that up. He said that button, let's see. Bazinga. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't rely on your own understanding, head, and all your ways, heart and head, note that, heart and head, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your, sometimes the path is a little bit hard to see, isn't it? At least in the immediate. Acknowledge him and he will. Don't rely on your own understanding, head, in all your ways. Now, this is not just talking about head and heart. All your ways means all your ways. And all of your goodness and all of your badness and all of your smartness and all of your creativity and all of your stupidness and all of your immorality and all of your wrong ways and all of your ways acknowledge that God is God. And he will direct your paths. It's not just saying, oh, in every good thing you do acknowledge him. No, no, acknowledge him with your life. And don't kid yourself that it's all good. Man, I can be a stinker, but if I acknowledge that before God, he's quite capable of taking and changing and rearranging everything, and he ends up working it all together for good. In other words, if you read the end of the book, it'll help you as well, but we win. If we trust in the Lord with all our hearts and don't rely or lean on our own understanding, which doesn't mean committing intellectual suicide, it's a both and. But don't just rely on this thing to the exclusion of this, because sometimes they kind of have different ways of getting at the matter. Blaise Pascal was a, um, if you've heard of Blaise Pascal, he was a mathematician. 
Oh, actually, that's, that's the cable. I forgot about that part. So it's about 18 inches, right? 18 inches or 46 centimetres is from here to here. Blaise Pascal had an extraordinary head and he had an extraordinary heart. He was a mathematician, he was a scientist, he was a theologian. He wrote in the 1640s, so he was born in the 1620s, and I think he lived till the 1660s, 1670s, not that long, but during the middle of that time he wrote, the heart has its reasons which reason knows nothing of. We know the truth, not only by reason, but by the heart. And perhaps a more condensed version, which I use on a regular basis, is the heart has reasons the mind knows nothing of. There is revelation and understanding and the ability to hear from God, to see God, to understand God and his word, and to understand yourself, other people, and the life that happens to you, the good and the bad and the ugly. There is ways that the heart can apprehend and understand that that cannot be taken first by the mind. Now, part of the job with the cable is it's a two-way street. It's not all from here down to here. It's often from here to here. That stuff will be revealed and made known in your heart, and sometimes it has to go back up the cable to your head so you can give words to it, that you can articulate it, you can understand it, you can explain it. And maybe, maybe if you're really lucky, God will allow you to speak in an auditorium of people about the things that have come from here that have now been articulated into words that can be projected that might help, God willing, someone else here today. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. The heart has reasons the mind knows nothing of. Please don't think for a moment I'm um, asking you to commit intellectual suicide um, or leave your brains at the door. I'm not. But so often we catch ourselves in one place or another and we're not working as a fully functioning human being because the communication lines have been severed or damaged or shaken loose in some way. Proverbs, just moving along a little bit further, um, Proverbs 4, 20 to 24. My son and daughter, my child, translations today probably say, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Ears and eyes, they live in the head. Keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all, but most importantly, above all, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Good, bad and indifferent. Guard your heart. Keep an eye on your heart. Talk to your heart. Now, we're not talking about the blood pump. We're talking about the very core of you, the seat of your emotions and feelings and creativity and appreciation, all of those kind of things that aren't your logical, technical, intellectual head stuff. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And I'm very aware that often I have to choose to find ways to close that 18 inches of separation. If you're wondering why I'm leaving this on here and stuck onto my head, it's because it's annoying. And it creates, normally in preaching I say, don't create some kind of white noise by how you look or what you do because people will be so distracted that they won't actually hear the truth of what you're trying to say. So I decided today, no, I actually want to create some white noise. So if you remember nothing else, you'll think about this moron up the front with a cable duct tape to the side of his head 
He wanted it on the top of his head, but I've got spiky, greasy stuff in there to make my hair stand up so I don't look so old or bald. And the duct tape wouldn't stick, okay? So I had to slap it on the side. So that's going to hurt pulling it off my face. But if you remember nothing else, you'll think about this weird guy who had the bit of wire taped to his head and to his heart, and you'll think, there is a connection. How is my connection going? Is my heart checking with my mind and my thinking and my processes and my plans and my strategies or my ways of getting out of stuff? Are they talking to each other? Do my heart and my mind agree more than they don't? Are they friends? Or are they constantly opposing and warring against each other? In my heart, in my heart, I want to love this person who has treated me so badly. In my mind, I know how to make poisons. <laughs> I know how to create Molotov cocktails. I know how to stitch someone up, probably even on the internet, so they're going to get done for illegal activity. I could do it. Not that I do. But are they talking to each other and saying, hey, come on, we're meant to be kind of almost regulating each other to a certain degree and checking with each other because head and heart both hear from God. Different ways, different times, different needs, different circumstances, but we do tend to default towards this or this. A lot of people live on their heart. Oh, you know, I wear my heart on my sleeve and I'm an open book and everything, what you see is what you get. Where some people, it's like, wow, I just had an incredible talk with an artificial intelligence. It almost seemed human. Because it's so clinical and so pre precise and cute too. But I don't feel the person. And we all vacillate between those. David Riddell and a number of psychiatrists and counsellors and psychologists talk about cognitive dissonance. Uh, cog is the... Um, the essential part that you need to remember there. Cognitive dissonance. Cognitive technically means um, thinking or brain work and activity and stuff. Cognitive reason, that kind of thing. Dissonance is when it doesn't agree with each other. It's almost like your guitar is totally out of tune but you're still trying to play with the rest of the band. There's a dissonance goes on where it just clashes. Cognitive dissonance is, and why I say cog is important, is if you imagine two cogs, they're designed to mesh together and to turn nicely. If they don't mesh for some reason, if you've driven a manual car, what happens if you try and change gear without engaging the clutch? There's a grinding, a grunching, a and it's like, oh, for goodness sake, put your clutch in, man. Cognitive dissonance is what goes on when our heart and our mind are not in agreement. Whatever the reason the connection is severed or it's not working properly or the wire shakes or whatever it is, whatever's going on, or because you didn't consult your head and heart, this is where dissonance comes in. You know, someone says to me, oh, Mike, could you possibly help with blah, 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 blah. And my heart says, yeah, sure, happy to do it. And then when I go away, my head says, you're an idiot. Why did you say yes? You know, you're so busy now. You haven't got enough. You don't even like doing that stuff. Why did you... Because my heart wanted to say yes, well, it should have had a little talk to my mind. These days, if you say to me, Mike, could you blah, 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 don't be surprised if I say, you know what, let me just check with my diary, which is the same as saying, let me check with my wife, because there's some truth in that. I may be double booked or overloaded or whatever, but sometimes it's not that. I just need time. My heart's going, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And then, oh, the last thing I want to do is go out there tonight and do that. 
Well, if my head and my heart had had a little chat with each other before my mouth opened, I probably could have given a more reasonable answer and maybe not built up either false expectation in the people when I say, yeah, I'm in. And then, oh, sorry, I can't make it, eh? I double booked. <laughs> now I feel guilty. Talk to each other. Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3. Been thinking about this. Did Adam and Eve, when they disobeyed God, did they hide because they'd sinned by disobedience? Is that why they hid? Or did they hide because they were afraid of the consequences and simply ashamed of their behaviour? Because there's a little bit of a difference. Was it cause and effect? See, disobedience, there's no question disobedience for them resulted in feelings of fear and shame and probably a thinking that they were now unacceptable to God. God said, don't do this. We've done it. We need to hide from him. We're afraid of the consequences. We don't know what they are because there's, there's no precedent for this. We're the first and probably the last. And we need to hide from him. And not only that, we now feel ashamed and naked and our bits and bobs need to be covered up. So let's kick in the head and fix it. So we're hiding from God and we're covered in giant fig leaves. Back in the Garden of Eden, which was tropical, everything grew bigger. Okay, so they were really big fig leaves. They weren't tiny little things like you see on the artist drawings. Probably they were wraparounds, almost. But disobedience results in feelings of fear and shame and a thinking that maybe we have disqualified ourselves and we are unacceptable to God. And I start thinking about Adam and Eve, and Eden was on there. And then I start thinking, what if, which is the title of this message, what if, what if Adam and Eve, instead of going here, they felt bad here, going to here, and said, we need to fix this. We need to do what we can to cover ourselves and blame shift and everything else. But what if... What if instead of that, we'd just gone straight back to God and said, hey, um, we're not feeling this good about it, and we're not even sure what we've done and what the consequences are, but God, we feel like we've kind of really stuffed things up. What to do? What might the consequences have been? Imagine if they had gone to God and said, we're not even sure this is a, a new thing and we've done this thing and this is what's happened and I don't know what it is, but our light seems to have gone out and we kind of feel a little bit nervous and anxious about things and even you, we're feeling this new feeling. Is it fear, scared? What is this new thing that's come on us? What if they had gone to him and said, God, this is what we've done. My mind explodes. When I start thinking about the nature of God, and the love of God and the accepting us as we are, but loving us too much to leave us as we are, if we will just come to him, my mind explodes. How could humanity, how could this world have been different if the first thing Adam and Eve did was said, let's go to God and tell him. You know, my children sometimes did things that were naughty when they were little, 
um, which I know you'll find is really surprising, but my children did. And um, the times I caught them doing something naughty were way worse than the times they did something naughty and then they felt really guilty or ashamed and they actually come and says, oh, I just did such and such, such and such. And my response was quite different too. In fact, I think it was Hannah, Hannah or Lydia, both two of my daughters are sitting in the front row there. Um, one of them said a bad word when they were about six or seven years of age. We were living up in New Guinea and they said a bad word and they knew they'd said a bad word and mummy and daddy weren't around and they didn't hear her. But they knew it was a bad word and that mummy and daddy probably wouldn't approve. So whenever they'd been caught by us using bad words, we would at least threaten, I don't know if we ever carried it out, that we would brush their tongues with soap. And that'll teach you to clean your language up. So was it Lydia or Hannah? You want to tell me? It was Hannah, okay, the senior pastor's wife, okay. <laughs> she come out and she's, she was looking pretty miserable. She says, I, I, I did a bad thing, I did a really bad word, so I've just been in the bathroom scrubbing my tongue with soap. The word is? Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, but the consequences of doing it like that was actually probably a lot better than the consequences of hiding from mum and dad and us finding out later. And I do wonder with Adam and Eve, and I think, oh my gosh, how could it have been different? And how often do I do the same thing because of this cognitive dissonance that goes on? Peter betrayed Christ just before he was crucified. He betrayed him by word and action and everything else. And I wonder how different it could have been for Peter, particularly for Peter, not to mention the other disciples, how different could it have been when he denied the Christ if he had gone immediately to the disciples, to Christ himself, hanging on a cross even. But he was so distraught that he kind of gave it away. He disappeared. How do I know that? When Mary encountered the resurrected Christ at the tomb when he had risen from the dead, Jesus gave instructions and he said, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Go and tell the disciples and Peter that I'm going to meet them at such and such a place. Go ahead and I'll see you there. Jesus made sure that Mary said, Peter has either disassociated himself from the disciples or the disciples have disassociated themselves from Peter. I don't know. But at that stage, Peter at least, and maybe the disciples as well, didn't consider that Peter was a disciple. He had cooked his goose. How different might it have been if Peter instead of kind of either disassociating himself or allowing the other disciples to kind of almost fellowship him, how different could it have been if Peter had gone immediately? I don't know. But it's the what ifs. And then I think, they're just like me. What if? How different could my life have been if I had been going to God and carrying my stuff to God instead of trying to fix it myself or hide it or like Lucky Takoha said, doing the externals of being a good Christian person. When I know I'm a ratbag, saved by grace, 
but still a bit of rat there nonetheless. I wonder what would have happened with Judas. He betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. Judas was kind of an idealist. He was a bit of a zealot. And he really thought that Jesus was coming to overthrow the Roman Empire and bring Israel into a time of prosperity, that Jesus was the saviour. And he was so disappointed when it seemed like Jesus wasn't going to do what he thought and what all of the Pharisees for years had said was going to happen when the Messiah turned. He decided that this probably isn't the guy, but I'm pretty annoyed anyway, so he betrayed him. Then when he realised that Jesus was the Christ, Messiah, he went out and he hung himself. What if instead he'd went back to the disciples and to Jesus and said, I'm so sorry, I was wrong, I was disappointed, I didn't talk to people about it, I had this thing and my hopes were dashed and I've reacted like this. Where's Judas? I don't know. But I wonder what would have happened if he had decided to do things differently. What if, what if Peter had? What if Judas had? And then I think about the prodigal son. The prodigal son, he did a runner. He wanted to go and live a life. He went off and he squandered everything and when he was in a dire, dire strait, the scripture says that when he came to himself, in other words, when he started working out and thinking through and getting rid of the cognitive dissonance and his heart and his head started talking to each other, he came up with half a plan. Hey, maybe if I go back and I crawl back and I say, you know, um, I'm not worthy to be your son, but hey, you know, please even consider taking me as a servant because at least I'll have somewhere to sleep and something to eat. And he goes back when he knows he's squandered and embarrassed his family and everything else. He goes back and he talks to his father. His father runs at him and he starts his prepared speech. Um, father, I know I've sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy of pleasure. And the father, halfway through, says, hey, just cut it out. I don't want to hear it. Don't you even articulate that. Don't you even say it because as far as I'm concerned, you were lost and now you're found. That's the end of it. Let's have a flippin' party and when your brother gives me a telling off because I'm too forgiving and I'm too loving and I'm too generous and I'm too kind and I'm too accepting, I'll tear a strip off him as well. Oh my gosh, what if, what if instead of us trying to sort things out and work our own way through things and strategize and think and worry and stress about things and try and fix it, what if instead we trusted in the Lord with all our hearts? What if we didn't rely just on our own understanding? Not intellectual suicide, but don't rely only on this one. What if the joint, the connection, the cable was functioning properly and our heart and our head were communicating and come to an agreement together that we're going to seek first the kingdom of God? That we're going to go to God first and we're going to find out whether he wants to talk to your heart or your head or both so that you know that he will direct your path. What if? I get, ex I get kind of excited about that. Sorry about that. I'll try, and, I'll try and close it down now. What if I had? Instead of the dumb things I've done, instead of the ways I've tried to hide things or fix things or explain things away, what if I had just simply gone back to God? 
No hiding in the bush. No pulling on the fig leaves. Because the fig leaves are for me. They're not for God. The fig leaves are for me. They're not even for you. The fig leaves are me to cover my inadequacies, my not knowing what to do, my shames and my insecurities. But what if I'd gone to God? Maybe a little bit scared or fearful or naked and ashamed, but I just go to him in that state. In all your ways, acknowledge him. My kids had these storybooks um, when they were probably pre-teens, and I don't remember the titles of the publishers, but um, they were books where you could choose the ending. Is anyone familiar with those? You read through to a certain part of the book, and then it says, you have to choose, are you, as the reader who's in the story, you know, are you going to take the left-hand path or the right-hand path? And you choose based on what you know and understand, and you make a decision, I'm going to go this way. So then you flick through to that part of the book and you read the rest of the story about the consequences of the decision you made at the fork in the road. And you get to the end of it and you go, ah, wow, okay, that's cool. And then you go, what would have happened if I chose the other one? You can't help yourself. Well, I can't because I'm a big kid anyway. You have to go back to that point and say, now I'm going to choose the other way and I'm going to read that through and see what the results were. And you assess and you look, oh, if I'd gone this way, that would have happened. If I'd gone this way, this would have happened. You're in a far better place to understand hidden heart. When you realise that in life there are multiple options and choices about the way you live your life. But underneath all of that, you need to live your life in a way that knows that God loves you unconditionally, as um, Rob said earlier. That you can go to him with the good and the bad and the ugly, with the confusion, with the certainty, with the doubts, with all of the chatter that goes on here and here. You can go to him with it all. You don't have to. You're never so dirty that you have to take a wash before you have a shower. Sorry. You never are. You go to God as you are. God, I've done some really stupid things or I'm really struggling with this and that and the other and my heart says I'm meant to love everybody and your word says to love everybody but I want to punch this guy in the teeth. There's a little bit of cognitive dissonance going on here. What do I do with this? Well, take it all to him. Take it all to him. Colossians 1 verses 9 and 10. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, head and heart, all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk, that you might walk worthy of the Lord in pleasing ways, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And that's my prayer, is that God will show you whether there's disconnects, whether there's a loose wire that shakes loose now and again, whether there's a dissonance going on between this and this, God will show you what that is and how to actually kind of calm that down and get them to talk to each other and agree to each other. I talk like they're different people. 
Well, we're kind of Trinitarian beings, so we're not different people, but we are a trinity. But these guys need to cooperate. We could take some lessons from the Holy Trinity on how that happens. And I think that's all I want to say about that in the words of Forrest Gump. God is love. If you want a picture of God is love, you can't go past 1 Corinthians 13. Often we read that and say, oh, that's what I should be. Well, we're made in the image of God. We should be what God is. And when I read 1 Corinthians 13, and then I ask myself these questions, what if I approached this God of 1 Corinthians 13? What if I went to him, instead of hiding in the garden and trying to cover myself with fig leaves, from this picture in 1 Corinthians 13 of the image of love, what is likely to be my reception or his response? And I come out with a much kinder, fuller understanding of the nature of God than I would if I cover myself in fig leaves and hide in the bush. What if? Love is not an emotion. It's a state of being. God is love. And he wants us in that same place to understand we're going to be okay. It's okay. You don't have to clean yourself up before you take a shower. What if you'd gone straight to him instead of trying to hide it, cover it, fix it, explain it, or work it out yourself? How might things be different? What if? God bless you.